Welcome to HivriaCast, the podcast where I, Alad Nehrai, speak with some fascinating and incredible creative Jews. We are on with Hannah Rudman for HivriaCast episode six, I hope and believe. Um, Hannah, I'm so excited to have you on. How are you? I'm so good, and I'm so happy to be here, <laughs> and yeah, excited for our conversation. Yeah, I have been pumped for this for a long time, because we scheduled this a while ago, so I know it's not easy to get Hannah Rudman sitting down talking about... Shh. As long as it's, <laughs> it's in Google deal. Calendar, it's going to happen. <laughs> if everyone could just learn that rule... Oh my gosh. Our lives would be easier. We organize creative people, you and I. So I'm with you. Maybe we just need everyone to use a calendar. I have an idea. How about instead of Jewish creativity, we talk about Google Calendar for an hour? We could. <laughs> I have a lot to say about it, but I don't want that to be the show. You don't think so? Okay. All right. Maybe another time. Next time you'll come. Next up. time. We'll schedule it in Google Calendar. Perfect. Meta. <laughs> Love it. Um, so I am actually like, this is the thing about, about you is that I... I'm like obsessed with every little snippet that I hear from you about, but I don't kind of have it all down. I want to know like all the awesome things you're up to and have been up to and all these things like, cause you're doing so much and I feel like you're one of those people who does a lot, but doesn't necessarily always talk about what you do. So could you talk about what you do <laughs> yes. for us? Yeah. Yes. You're, we're having this conversation at an interesting moment in my life where I'm up to only new things. I'm only deeply in experimentation mode. And there are tremendous highs and tremendous lows that come with that. But I think that it's extremely important to uh, who I am as an artist, as an activist, as uh, someone who cares about creating transformation in the world. So I could be a little bit more concrete about it, but <laughs> well, I want we'll you to there. just get exactly where so, you're meeting me. Okay, so let's so let's uh, make sure we're there. So, tr- you're an artist who wants to transform the world. Is am I getting this correct? And you see the two is connected. Yes, deeply connected. Okay. So, um, for for what I'm up to right now, mm-hmm. I am the exact. Sorry, I'm sorry. Before I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but yeah. is like the, all the new things that you're doing. Are you trying to combine those two? And what you do is that the idea. Or is it like in some areas you're trying to be an artist and some areas you're trying to transform the world? Or maybe I should I wait that, for you to tell me. I think that all of the work that I am doing is with a goal of it having a transformative and empowering impact on people. Okay. And I'm exploring different roles that I can do that, different forms, different collaborators. And there is a lot of convergence in those kinds of projects, but they're not all the same. So here's the rundown, okay? Right after this, I'm going to coach. I coach in a program for transformational leadership and helping people see themselves as powerful leaders inside of their communities. Oh, wow. It is an extraordinary program and opportunity as a coach. Do you mind, like, telling me what it is? or is Sure. It? Okay, cool. And I guarantee you and so many people who would listen to this know about it. It's Landmark. Oh, okay. So I'm a coach cool. for Landmark. Oh, wow. Interesting. So you, oh, Landmark. Okay, right. Go ahead. Very cool. So that's what's happening right after this. Right. The other three big projects that I'm involved in right now 
I am the founder and executive director of an organization called Being With, and it is a company that creates experiences and content exploring vulnerability. And the whole goal is to empower people to be with the things that are scary, that are stigmatized, that can alienate us, bring openness to that, bring community to that, and bring reflection to that so that we can really see a new healing world. I think I just saw something posted by you guys. It was about the body, right? Yes, we have, we're, oh. we, we organize as a series of events and different kinds of content and experiences around each event. So each one is thematic and I'm excited to tell you about some of the ones that we've done. The one that we have coming up on the 26th of April is being with bodies and it's about what is my personal and my personal relationship to my body and a collective relationship that society has to bodies and how I participate in that. Mm. So the work that we do really is multidisciplinary and brings immersive art, brings storytellers, panelists, speakers together. And we design these interactive reflections that really just create this new kind of meaningful, immediate conversation for people to experience. So give me the example of like an experience that you... You had? Absolutely. (laughs) So we had an event last October and we, the theme was dreams, aspiration, not the sleeping kind of dream. (laughs) Got it. And that is such a vulnerable thing for people. I'm sitting here and I'm like every day Mm. thinking about how terrifying it is to create something and the fear of failure, the fear of rejection, Mm. um, Constantly, I ask myself, do you know what you're doing? I think that that is a very common experience for creators. Um, and especially for a project that is so aspirational, like it is about creating transformation. That's about as aspirational as it gets. Mm-hmm. So we created this experience for being with dreams that had people work in a pair. So we matched two strangers together mm-hmm. to have them tell each other their narrative about a particular dream. And we did that by creating this game, like a physical product and game that had cards, that had a board, that had a whole kind of process involved with it, whereby a person essentially created a map of how they relate to the thing that they desire. So it would ask you, do you think that you are the best person to do this dream? Mm -hmm. Do you think you have all the resources you need to do this dream. And when you have to tell a stranger about it, you have a certain freedom that you don't have when you're speaking to someone who you know really well. And that process ultimately kind of concludes with reimagining that dream from a place of abundance, you could say, reimagining it. And we had people walk away crying from that experience, walk away with this new profound connection to a stranger Um, having shared deeply about something that their life is about on some level. It's so fascinating because, you know, when I was thinking about the questions that you were asking and you were talking about fear before, those to me, at least as someone who started projects a lot and, you know, whatever, and always had fear involved, like when you're asked, like those questions are the questions that scare me the most, you know, those freak me out really, like, 
you know, and I think that a lot of people are afraid to face those questions, but, you know, that must be really intense to, to be talking about, am I the right person for this project? I like intense things. <laughs> okay. And Fair enough. I think everyone's dealing with these intense questions. Mm -hmm. And I think that's extremely alienating. Okay. That's, that's really interesting because I think that that seems to me to be very much your like thing is going beyond like trying to get people unalienated is that a word maybe we'll make one now but like, I like making up words that's perfect <laughs> but that's getting like a big people connected getting people connected that's a better way of putting yeah it. that yeah. is what it's all about um I could say a little bit about some of the work I've done before this project this you know, is a really, really experimental form being with, right? Mm -hmm. Before this, my training is as a filmmaker. Mm. And so it's very collaborative, very collaborative process. Mm. Um, but also film is tangible, you know, mm. except I like doing very untangible, intangible projects, <laughs> um, and have the process be where the creativity is really, you know, charged. So, in 2013, I did a film project about my neighborhood, Crown Heights, um, about the relationship between the Hasidic community and the black community. And I had just moved there less than a year before and had this kind of angst that I, that I felt in this kind of um, bystander experience as an observant Jew at the time seeing a community, the Jewish community, which I love so much, just really dehumanize our neighbors, um, our black neighbors. And likewise, there were, you know, experiences and acts of violence or crime in the community. So there, there is certainly, you know, a background of tension there. Right. Today, <laughs> people who are familiar with Crown Heights experience it in such a kind of like polished, gentrified form. Oh, right. So it's kind of even hard to, you know, speak about four years with the same kind of um, intensity as that, as it is now. But the project that we created called Project Two by One was a film that was shot from a hundred different people's perspective in both communities, black community and the Jewish community, with a goal of humanizing the other and by showing the kind of unique rituals, uh, similarities and differences between these worlds and creating that film as a tool to have these conversations between both communities. So I think it was that experience that showed me film can be this collaborative process. It's not about me as a filmmaker as much as like, what can um, I create in terms of like a space for people to come and share a story, mm -hmm. to come and connect with each other? How can film be the starting point and people come and bring their expression to it. So you're not, you're not, in this case, you're not talking about collaborative in the sense of like a director and a writer and that sort of thing. You're talking about like the actual, the subjects became collaborators. Yeah, literally they were right. filming from their perspective. So right. it was up to them what they with, wanted to show us. That was the one with Google Glass, right? Exactly. Wow, that's yeah. really cool. That was like such a cool project. I love that. Thank you. Um, that's really interesting. So you feel like basically that's kind of the thread between these is like, getting people to kind of go out of their comfort zone and connect to others and 
Is that like essentially, would that sum it up relatively? I think that that's beautiful and perfect. What, Uh, what is, so just to dig a little deeper, why, why is that important beyond just the fact that people feel alienated? What is it that you like are envisioning? What is the thing that you're hoping will result from people being less alienated and more connected? I can count on you to bring the deep questions. (laughs) Yo, people are beautiful. And so I'm just out to make that clear, Um, to make, to do whatever I can for people to see their power, to create, um, to experience the kind of transcendence of of creation. And I think that that is most deeply expressed when people are connected and see, gee, what could we make together? Like that is essential. That's essential for any kind of major project we want to take on in the world. Any major social issue is going to require the people. We know that we're in a time of that right now. Mm. Um, And so we have to resolve the, the, these kinds of, the existential loneliness and isolation that we're caused to feel right now, I believe that that is so deeply designed in our culture. Um, a lot of those voices, we have to resolve that to a certain point to be able to say to someone else, I don't have the answers, but I see a problem. I want to change. Can we do this thing together? And so, yeah, it's fascinating. It's, it's really interesting. Cause I guess, you know, I know that, for a little while I felt kind of had that sort of reactive experience um, as someone who's becoming religious, kind of going away from that perspective of like, we also need to have borders. We need to be able to be like, you know, I'm saying the thinking that I had, like, you know, we need to be able to not, we we can't just like be a glob of, of one group of people and that sort of thing. And so it's interesting because now I feel like myself, like I feel like I'm kind of coming reconnecting back into that kind of perspective that that's so essential. And I think maybe if only because it's so obvious when we look around the world, you know, what you're describing is like, well, you know, I 100% believe in preserving, celebrating the preciousness of our identities and not just kind of flattening that to say that we're all the same. That's not what I believe. Um, so it's about saying I'm coming from this place. Can we connect from from our foundation, from our culture, from our identity. Right now, I'm working on a women's um, festival that is about activating creativity and spirituality from a feminine perspective during Sukkot. Very exciting project. And wow. This is in Crown Heights? It's going to be in New York City. We're working, City. finding a location, raising cool. some more funds. And is the, this, is it, I'm sorry to interrupt, but is this ahead. with... The organization that you started? It's not being with. Okay. It's a different project. Okay. Because I recognize from my work with being with, like, as a as a deeply Jewish person, I want to try expressing from this place with a little bit more freedom, if you will. From which place? From my from a Jewish place. Because with being with, the audience is diverse. It is not about Jews in particular, although plenty of Jewish people participate. It's about creating an inclusive and active and vibrant space for me as a creator 
I also need to be able to safely kind of come from a powerful Jewish position too. That of course informs my other work, but there is like a separate space for it that I've been looking for and have been building, creating. And so it's been a really interesting conversation with my collaborators who are all Jewish women. And, you know, this festival, we believe, could have value for men and women, not even necessarily Jews. We just need to own that it is coming from our inspiration, Jewish inspiration and tradition. And so really kind of like owning that identity as a collective of Jewish artists working together to make a thing. And that in owning that, we create space for ideally a Muslim collective of artists to come and get on board and create a performance or something like that in this festival. Oh, that's really cool. Um, Wow, okay. So that's interesting. So you kind of are trying to create these different spheres of creative collaboration where you're doing... um, you know, some things within the Jewish world, but also some things now, I guess it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you kind of were very much in the Jewish world in terms of creativity, then started doing more uh, outside. And then now we're kind of trying to do both. Is that accurate? Exactly. I think that after the election was when I really realized I had to own my Jewishness a lot more Um, because this is such a, this time scares me so much. And I just totally recognize that this is also the story of the Jews too. And I don't just want to be kind of like, again, flattened into some like amorphous liberal Mm. population. Like, no, I'm a proud Jew. And it's my belief in difference, my belief in um, protecting others that is where I come from when I want to create in the world. So I felt like I need a new, I need to locate my Jewishness in my creative projects and I needed to create a new space for that. Why do you need a new space for that? Because I think that it's, I think that it depends on what I'm trying to create. So. I guess what I mean is why do you not feel like the Jewish world? Has something for mm. you? That is like such a good question. Um, I'm torn about that. I think the Jewish world has a lot for me and not enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that we're just obviously in a time that is like institutions have failed. The truest, most powerful Jewish experiences I've had is like in the celebration in a person's home Mm. where someone is teaching. Like I constantly come back to, I think it's a um, Shlomo Karlbach's teaching of like in this era, our friends are our rabbis. And I hold that so tightly because my friends are my teachers and like are going to be the ones who show me like where I need to grow, are going to be the ones who lift me up with the dedication, the commitment, the ideas that they are traveling with. Hmm. That is so true for me. I just want to make space for that to happen. And I think that I am looking for my people with that. And and that's the what I mean by creating new spaces. Wow. 
That's really, I mean, that's really fascinating because, you know, it's just like I feel exactly the same way, like in that regard, maybe in a different frame, but like essentially very similar. And, you know, I think that's like for me why I created Hebria was like, I'm this creative Jewish Orthodox person, you know, the creative world doesn't really have, doesn't really fulfill me in that sense. The Jewish world doesn't really fulfill me in that sense. And, you know, I think it's really interesting because, you know, you're talking about institutions. It's just so crazy. There's like mil- like probably hundreds of millions of dollars being funneled into these organizations and and it feels like so much of it's wasted. Like, And, and not to get, you know, I guess we're getting real in this, which is fine, but like let's, let's do that, right? Yeah. Good. Oh, this is why I need you on here, Hannah. So like, and it's, and it's interesting because then you have like, you know, uh, for me, it's like Hevria, we put our money into it, like, and we still aren't, like, even anywhere near any, like, oh my gosh, like, can't even compare, like, to these institutions. Yeah, I feel like we make such a a bigger impact on people, like, at least within our world, you know, and, and so I guess, I guess what I'm expressing is, like, I find that beautiful that you're doing it, but it's also, like, really sad you know it's really sad and makes me feel so dumb all the time (laughs) makes you feel dumb yeah in a certain like I see an immaturity in it maybe a little like oh I'm gonna do it my way right you know like I don't admire that trait in others yeah but like and at the same time there is like a holiness to stubbornness too um to having the conviction of like we need a, a clear space to create from um and I think that everything that Hevria is about is, is like what I vibe with as well. I really want you to know that <laughs> and anyone who listens to this to know that like there is something extremely powerful in exactly that um, self-sustaining model. Right. And I think like, you know, it's interesting because if you look at like I, it's been, there's been all these like fascinating studies since the election and, and before the election of like, why we're here or why things are like this and you know everyone knows my stance on this but i mean in terms of the larger context of it one of the things that's fascinating is 538 did uh, an article about how trust in all major institutions has fallen like precipitously like almost unbelievably in like the last few decades like something just like unbelievable like we're and I think religious institutions are the ones that dropped the most, or the second most. Mm. Well, you know, uh, the financial institutions obviously <laughs> dropped like a huge amount. Um, in terms of like total amount, it was like religious institutions are definitely above like Congress and and media and these sorts of things. But um, you know, so I I think it's interesting. Like your expression is fascinating to me, just because I think on the one hand, like I totally identify with that feeling of like insecurity. You know, what am I doing doing this? You know, especially when you see all these big people doing all these things. You know, but you know, it could be argued that the whole reason we're here is because, like, there's some there's a gap. You know, whatever it is, like we could use the word fail and, and these sorts of things, but there is a gap, right? Like that you and me, like that you could be a liberal Jew and you, you uh, and feel free to correct any wording I'm using, but like you can be a liberal Jew and not feel like that the liberal Jewish world has everything for you or that the observant Jewish world has any like enough for you. And that there's something missing there, right? Like, well, and I think like a major thing that's missing, 
a major thing that is invisible here is that who created these categories anyway? Right. You know, I want to be extremely critical about the categories that we see the world. And it's like, what? who said that the best way to organize Jews is by... Um, like orthodox practice or conservative practice reform. Like I just am really excited about people finding other layers of who they are, what they're making. I see creativity and spirituality as like so, so deeply connected. And so I'm really interested in like how we can in this kind of independent way, connect people who are not otherwise, Mm -hmm. you know, taught to like belong together. Right. So you, do you feel like almost in the sense that we even have to categorize it that way, that that's part of the issue? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like where I'm saying liberal Jewish world, Orthodox Jewish world. I mean, those are real things. But I think on the other hand, maybe that's part of the gap is that those are real things. But to our generation, they're not as real as they used to be in a sense. I don't know. Does that make sense? I think... Mm. The categories have failed in a in a sense. Like they're not big enough for us to grow into, or like there's too many people. Like, or there are people who fall through the cracks of that. You feel that way. I feel that way. And so, you know, I think we're just not taught to see it as designed that way, because institutions are organized in a really specific way. Right. You know, okay. where so you're saying like, well, actually, you were about to say it. I'm sorry I interrupted you, but basically, like, go ahead. Let well, me I, you. Go in ahead. a Jewish sense, yeah. we're really organized by denominations. Right. Why? I want to find my creative people wherever they are. I think it'd be so badass if, you know, you're like, I think some of the most badass Jews are um, like bulletproof stockings, mm-hmm. you know, people or. Um, or from fashion designers. Like, I just love people who are pushing limits from that space. And I also really admire people making radical (laughs) art and, you know, their connection to Judaism could be, like, through Yiddish music. So what are the mechanics of making that happen? Like, I think it's one thing to say, okay, like, these things... Uh, like and obviously I 100% agree and I would imagine some of our audience is like fuming and some of our audience is like yeah you know um, how do we make it happen how do we like I mean yeah but like what, what is you know yeah I think it's very easy to see that the issues when we're in this like we, we feel underserved but like you know, the one thing that I would argue that I've felt as a gap between me and like these institutions is that as much as I can have issues with them, on the other hand, they're effective in the sense that they know who their audience is. They know what they're trying to do and they have a very clear vision of it. I don't know if they're completely succeeding in, in everything like that, but I think that's one thing that I feel is is missing among a lot of people like you and I who are, and I'm I'm talking about myself really, like you know, there's nothing I personally want more than to go into like that next level of like, we're really starting to become an institution ourselves, you know, in a sense, like where we're building that for others because that needs to happen, right? We can't just always be scrappy and and everything like that. So I'm not talking about how do we succeed? I'm more talking like, how do we truly connect 
these disparate people and these different identities because we are fragmenting as well, right? Like, how do we do that? I think we have to create experiences that bring people together. I think it needs to happen in real life. Social media, digital media is not the full experience. Of course, there are people whose lives are literally saved by the support that they find mm -hmm. in online communities. But I moved away from the film world as like my main practice because I am inspired by what can happen when people literally are in the same space together. Before uh, this chapter of creating these kind of experimental um experiential projects, a festival, an event series, etc. I was running a production company. I was uh, making films for Alicia Keys and the UN and the World Food Program and Malala Fund, traveling the world, sh making short documentaries. And I felt like, wow, there's such power in the stories that we're telling, but they're going to live and die on a news feed. Or, you know, what wow. about the facilitation of our stories? Where is that going to happen? Who's going to be responsible for that? And so maybe it's like backwards in a world that constantly preaches scale, scale, scale. Like we have to be big. But I kind of want to say, screw that. Like, let's just have intimacy in our culture, in our, in, our, in our community, in our sense of connection with people. And that's going to happen if we actually take time to spend with each other in a real space. That's fascinating. So, like in your mind, that's really what what you feel like is missing to a certain extent is that real world sort of interaction between people. Yes, because I like look, we're so addicted to um, the experience of ourselves and others through this kind of digital interface, right. um, and I feel like we have. It, that kind of replaces this sense of curiosity that we have in just the most organic, natural human interaction that we could possibly have together being present with each other. It's just so funny because... What an epiphany. They figured that out many, many years ago, but we're like discovering that again right now. Right. That's so... I mean, first of all, I have so many thoughts because like, first of all, my title is Director of Digital Media. So like, it's funny because... Because on the one hand, that you could, I could, I'm sure someone else sitting in the seat would be like offended, would be like, but digital media, you know? But it's actually ironic because I think that my position essentially like as starting off in marketing and, and doing writing and blogging and all these things, like the one thing that I've, if anything, if I've learned anything from this experience is how limited what I do is, you know what I'm saying? Like how much how much potential it has, but also how much it's missing, you know? And I guess like... That's very honest. <laughs> well, I, I feel like the whole world is kind of coming to that reckoning now, right? I mean, where we're like fake news and blah, 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 like all these million things. I'm not sure. I mean, oh, I'll right. just counter and say like, you don't really think I think that the amount of money being poured into virtual reality and this promise that we can have this totally augmented experience of life with each other... Right makes me feel like that's definitely not the real, that's definitely not the, the enlightened awakening we're seeing. I don't know. Right. Yes. You were about to say something about fake news. No, I mean, I hear what you're saying. That's totally true. I mean, there's no doubt that we're on that road, but I think there's also, I think for the first time, I think there was a very, and I'm again, including myself in this, it was a very utopian view of like what digital media would do, which is that 
know, it's going to break down boundaries. And it has done that. I mean, that's why <laughs> we, for better or for worse, we are where we are. In the sense that it did break boundaries. It did connect people that weren't able to connect before. And that includes, like, hate groups and, and blah, blah, blah as well. But it also included, like, the, the whole work that I do and, like, all these totally. other things that are done, you know, interfaith things and this and this. Like, we could talk about a million things. But the point is that it did all those things. But I think that now we've started to understand that there are, Number one, there are limits to it. And number two, uh, there are real, very real dangers w- with it as well. Um, so I, I totally agree that we're still like, so in, I think it, it's more that I, I personally think that we see it as like, well, this is the future. So like we have to invest in this and then we forget that there are other things to invest in. You know? And who said it's the future? Like, right. again, we're just fed so much. Right. I So an exciting development in my life that I will announce here Woo. is that I'm going to grad school in the fall. Mazel tov. Thank Beautiful. you. Yeah. It's the first time I actually said it as like, I'm doing this thing. Wow. Been like, I'm 80% sure, <laughs> 75% sure. So I'm going to a program called Transdisciplinary Design and it's at Parsons. Uh, it's part of the new school. And what is transdisciplinary design aside from like an obnoxious, maybe <laughs> pretentious term, but like, I'm really interested in going back to the basics and saying everything that we know, um, was put into a category, into a certain way. Mm. And, um, there are so many assumptions that are built around that language works the same way. Um, and so I think that this idea of like new is better, bigger mm. is better is something that was designed by capitalism. <laughs> we need to counter. So that is that's like really the the goal for me is like how do we design new intimate social interactions that are right. narrative based, that are immersive, that are therapeutic for people to actually connect with each other, to have transformation in their lives, to not feel like they are missing anything, like that they have um, abundance in their lives, mm-hmm. not like this kind of perpetual sense of I'm missing out or, oh my God, what have I missed in the news over the weekend? Like we're just constantly feeling short on time, on money, on attention. And I think that there's an opportunity to design for something different. I mean, that's, that's so inspiring. Cause it's like, I mean, it's, 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 it's fascinating. Cause I think that's, you almost like really got to the core of the thing that I brought up before, which was this idea that, well, this is all just like momentum and these are things that are out of our control and, and these are things that are bigger than us, you know, and we, it sounds like this whole concept of design uh, is really just a framework for saying like, for giving intentionality to people. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And looking at what people want and starting from that, you know, like what people, what people want, not what we're told we need. Like if you ask most people, they just want, they want quality experience of life. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of uh, Anil Dash before? Isn't he like a tech? Yeah, he's like a tech ethicist. That's like mm. his whole thing. He was one of the first people who worked at Twitter, I believe, and he helped design the blogging platforms for having the post and gawker and stuff and so this guy was and he and one of the things i just heard a podcast on but i've always been a huge fan he was talking about how one of the things he was fascinated by was how small programming decisions that were to the programmers not a big deal 
they were just kind of like a decision they made when they were optimizing their product would like affect things. For example, when he was designing Huffington Post and Gawker blogs, that depending on how big he made the text area for a blog, it would affect on a scale of obviously a huge scale, how much, how long articles were by journalists. So like on average, the Huffington Post or Gawker would have articles of a certain length based on just like a tiny design designed function. The point that he was making was at the time he didn't think much of it, but that was, he realized later that that had huge ethical implications, humongous. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, that I really took from that was his, his point was essentially like, there are all these tech people talking like in the Silicon Valley and stuff. A lot of the messaging is, is this like, it's bigger than us sort of thing. Um, but he's saying like, no, like we need to be aware, like everything that we do has an effect. Everything we do, we have control over. We have, you know, it has an effect and, and is something that we can really, we really have, you know, he was even talking about, um, when you download an app, thinking through how, what the effect of this app will be on your life. Like when you download Uber, like, what does that actually mean for you? What does it mean for the person who's getting hired by Uber, who Uber has said, in like press releases that they're going to try to replace them and blah, blah, blah. So like, I'm sorry to like rant, but I think, I mean, it's just, to me, this is like so fast. This, this, this conversation is like fascinating. This larger conversation about design and stuff that. Yes. We have control over our lives, you know. We have control, but another kind of thing I think is so important to put in here is that we speak about, so, I, so, the kind of shadow side of this is people get really excited about like optimizing a life. Like they figured out their values and now they want to optimize right. a life. Life hacking. Right? Life hacking. Yes. Yeah. Four hour work week. There was a hysterical <laughs> McSweeney's article that came out last week about this woman who just lives the most absurd optimized life. She has so much time to up. She, it's she, like a real, or you say it's an onion article or it was a McSweeney's. Oh, oh, McSweeney's. Okay. Good. So she <laughs> optimizes her life completely like yeah. making this, you know, a hundred ingredients smoothie in the morning, <laughs> listening to binaural like audio tracks for to, you know, increase her productivity. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in her evenings, she has like a 40 minute deep conversation or like stare with her partner. And that's all the time <laughs> they need. And then that's done. And then she optimizes other people's lives. Oh my gosh. Um, and so, you know, I had this conversation with my boyfriend recently about like optimizing um, after I had come back from hanging out with a friend who is like totally, you know, um, just the king of life optimization organization. He's like spreadsheet on spreadsheet (laughs) on spreadsheet of goals and measurement. And it left me feeling kind of disorganized. We had been talking about resolutions for the year and our goals and, um, it's so funny. We're coming back to the Google calendar thing. Oh That's my all. God. It's full circle. Full circle. Perfect. <laughs> so, you know, one thing that, um, I was sharing about that meeting with my friend was, you know, he said that he, he asked me, do you think that this goal about buying a house, like saving money for a house this year is ambitious enough? You know, is that an ambitious enough goal? And I'm telling this story to my boyfriend who says, I, I hate that. <laughs> like, why is it only appropriate to be ambitious in our finances and our careers? Like, what about being ambitious in love? Mm. 
And then I was like, I definitely want to date you. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so like we have to be a little critical when we say optimize life, life hacking, like what are we actually putting our energy in? Like, what are we inventing in our lives? That's the juiciest opportunity. Like I want to invent an ambitiously loving life. Okay. So this is like so meta. My brain is like exploding. So we have to design how we design our lives. Is that what you're saying? Yes. (laughs) We have to design our lives and we have to be critical about the way that it's already been designed for us. And we can't be so deeply in control of everything we can't be so deeply in control of the path of our careers, of our money, um, of what our community looks like. And so it's, yeah, it's, I think, like a, like a porous kind of design. Like let things in and, and be willing to like make it a little bit messy too. We're getting a little too abstract. No, this is like, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around this. This is like fascinating. So okay, well, you know what? You're going to grad school for this, so like you're gonna come back, at, you know, sometime, and you're gonna report. Like I, we need, I need more. You're like I don't really, I'm trying to. Like what it'll actually look like is helping. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it it'll look like creating public spaces for new kinds of um, beautiful human connection. That's my hope. It'll look like creating spaces for, um, or systems for better mental health care. Like that's something I care a lot about and that's connected to my work with um, exploring vulnerability and empathy, supporting better mental health in in the world. Um, It'll look like designing collaborative frameworks for better collaboration, for for creativity, for innovation within companies. So like it actually does have like a tangible kind of application. Um, But (laughs) when when I think about it in my own life, as someone who is a recovering control freak, mm. like I just loved that story so much about being ambitious in love because mm. it just reminds me like no matter how much I want to kind of like remake everything, it's actually not about everything. It's about like the one or two main things that um, my happiness depends on, right. you know? So that's so interesting. So it's like, you know, I was kind of joking about it, but I think also what it seems like you're describing like with this porous um, design and and these sorts of things is you're talking about your own life, but this was also started from us talking about like, how do we design like a better world? So, and I think that's, that's really interesting because I think that's almost in a way you're almost like directly addressing the thing that you were talking about before, which is that we have these rigid categories of, it's very not so porous right now. It's not, we're very much trying to hack the world, I guess. Is, is that, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth, but is that? I love it. That just like saying? actually like caused some epiphanies for me. So you keep going. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to understand it. So, I mean, like, so that's so interesting. So like, yeah, I'm just, I think, is this, is this intentionality and this porous design, all these things, these are, the, the would you say that that this is kind of how you're trying to like do your work with with these organizations and the, like let's say the festival like is that an example of that um yes and it's so hard because okay. leadership is like the test of this like as a leader creating a project from scratch which is like an annoying habit of mine <laughs> <laughs> an I, annoying I identify with that. Of mine. Big time. yeah um <laughs> 
like you're co- I'm constantly negotiating with myself like how much spontaneity can we have when we're putting out a performance or um generating some kind of experience for people and this I like I'm not creating a trade show I'm not creating a symposium of like here are seven cool (laughs) creative disciplines like go try painting go try improv (laughs) like I'm trying to create experiences that really kind of like um weave a lot of different kinds of methods together Mm -hmm. and I'm working with different people to do to create a thing that has never existed before so Like, A, do I really have a vision? Like, or do I just have this, like, weird sense of a thing? Um, B, like, do the people I'm working with really know what they're doing? And, like, C, okay, how am I going to... I have to move this forward anyway, so I have to create a system where we can manage the uncertainty. Um, And that system has to be not so rigid, it has to be somewhat loose, but there at the end of the day, it has to be about accountability. That's like a giant thing for me is like at the very, like at the most essential level, let's just do what we say we're going to do, mm. you know, like as a group of people, that's like, um, <laughs> we're doing more than most people actually accomplish when they have, like how many people have come to you and said, I have a great idea. I have a great idea. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I have a great idea or a person comes to me and says, I have a great idea. Great. Like, I'm going to hold you accountable to curate that exhibit, to, you know, like write that discussion guide, to reach out to that venue, like actually do it. Um, And then we'll see if, you know, we'll evaluate, like, does this fit with with a vision? Got it. That's really interesting. So it's kind of like trusting yourself to start it, but then... Other Letting people have results. to carry it. Other people have to carry it. That's what a community is. That's what yeah. a, a community project is. It's like, it's not about my thing. Other people have to see for themselves an opportunity to express themselves. So that's like your mark of success, you mean? Is that what you mean? Like Yes, and like, it's super painful. How's that? Why because that? it's not, oh, not going to look like the vision I originally had, and I'm constantly in a process with myself of letting go of that vision. So in order to... Like, okay, so because because I guess your form of creativity is essentially like this thing of giving, getting people, giving people the opportunity to collaborate and to create and these sorts of things, you have to constantly recreate it, I guess, because of that, because it's in their hands more than yours. Is that? I have to constantly let go and just simply hold people accountable um, because they want to do the thing, not because I said you have to do that thing. It was your idea. Wow. That's like profoundly selfless. And you know what I mean? Like that's so, and I think, you know, it's interesting because it depends on the medium that I do, but like, it's funny because for me as a, when I started off as a writer, it was like, I was just blogging and I could do whatever the hell I wanted and no one could tell me what to do. And that was like the beauty of it. And then when I started collaborating with people for every, it was kind of a similar, it was very hard because it's a crisis. It's very difficult, especially when you're used to like being in control. And maybe I don't know if your documentary experience was was like that at all. But like, yeah, I think that's. But but on the other hand, that was when I really felt like okay, now I'm not really doing what I'm meant to be doing. You know, right? I mean, I am doing what I'm meant to do when I write. But wow, when you see other people activated by that, and like you see it spreading, wow, it's so delicious. It's like. <laughs> 
oh my God, I don't know how this happened to me. Like when my friend texted me, uh, who is just like the dearest collaborator and she designs meditations and visualizations for being with experiences. That's a big part of the practice in our community events, um, is people practicing being present with themselves. So when she texted me, Hey, I want to start the being with podcast. And then two seconds later, another friend was like, when are you doing being with power? And like just these two text messages, like back to back, I was just like, this thing is living in the world. Like Mm. people are thinking about how this is an exploration for themselves. Like that is just the most kind of divinely satisfying experience. And I just want to be the vessel uh, that says like, or that gives people the space and the encouragement, like, yes, please go make that. It will be beautiful. And I'm here to support you. I just want to support people to to build those kinds of visions. I mean, it sounds. I mean, and it, you you mentioned kind of before that you felt like creativity is very connected to spirituality. I mean, you, the whole description that you just gave sounded to me like so. I don't know. It's like remind me of my nut or something like things we learned. You know, vessel is such like a coded word. It's, right. like, it's like oh, ding ding ding, classy <laughs> dude. Okay, got it. Yeah, but it is. I mean, it's very spiritual language. What you're saying, right? I mean. Yeah. Again, like I don't want to put things in your mind, but it sounds like that's what you're saying. Like this is a spiritual act for you. 100% collaboration is like the most spiritual act for me, I think. I really do. Because it's about um, just like it's about honoring the other and like nurturing um like nurturing a shared vision. I don't know if that actually has like a, what would be the way that I would phrase that Jewishly? Like it's just kind of maybe too ambiguous. Spiritually. Yeah. So it's about transcending the self. Like this thing is bigger than just like my hand or my, you know, camera making a thing. Yeah, totally. And we live in a culture that just celebrates, we live in this like, pathological culture of celebrities where it's always one person recognized and like we've destroyed teamwork as this like sacred thing in our culture. Yeah. I mean, and I think at least for me, I mean, I I definitely think to put it into Jewish (laughs) phrase, but just a Jewish word, at least seeing people's neshamas shine is like the most beautiful thing in the world to me. Um, And I guess, I guess that's, um, you know, what I felt maybe was like a little bit lacking in, in the, the spirituality or not like the spiritual creativity that I had been experiencing and what Pevria kind of gave to me personally, um, is being able to kind of really push people to get their neshamas to shine, I think. Mm. Um, and to me, that's like profoundly spiritual. And I think Hasidus and... Kabbalah and halacha, all those things revolve around that in so many ways. It's just we don't use those words maybe. but Right. I think one of the most spiritually charged creative experiences I've ever had, and the reason I started this project being with, is because I had the opportunity um, to create a film about a friend who had just experienced traumatic brain injury. And she was recovering kind of in isolation on a farm. Um, but over like the period of two years was in and out of New York and then in this farm with just complete uncertainty about her recovery and 
whether she would feel um, the same again. And there was every indication that she wasn't. Like, you know, she had fallen at a party and then um, two years of intense physical pain, of memory loss, of language loss, um, just so many like sensory impairments. And she trusted me. So there's something extremely sacred to me about like the trust um, that was in this project. But she trusted me with her story to listen to her, to to tell, um, to share her experience. And when she first saw the cut that I made of the film, it was like a minute and a half, she said to me, Han, I sound so angry because in this film, you know, she's, uh, she says, she asked these really intense rhetorical questions. Um, will I be able to have a normal life? Will I be able to hold my kid? Will this ever go away? You know, and you hear in her tone, this kind of like desperation, anger, maybe. And she said to me, Han, I sound so angry. That doesn't sound like me. And I said to her, no, this is you. <laughs> this is like a documentary. I didn't make it up. This is this is you. Try sending it to people you know. Send it to your mom. Send it to some friends. See what they say. And she did. And each person just responded with tears, with just profound kind of awe of her and let her know that her life, her courage, was a source of tremendous inspiration to them. And that they just saw the strength of this person in a totally different way. And I believe that that experience had an enormous impact in catalyzing her recovery. That biofeedback of like, oh my gosh, I'm strong. And saying my, sharing my story with others has an effect and like contributes. Like I'm not just kind of like in isolation, alienated with nothing to contribute to the world. I just, my being is a contribution to the world. And there was just something so um, holy to me, so spiritual to me in that kind of giver receiver um, experience and really how like I needed to become just kind of like invisible in the way that I um, just held like the space for her story. And I think that we have that opportunity. Every opportunity has, everyone has the opportunity to listen in a way that gives people the space to heal. So yes, it's deeply spiritual work, creative work, if you're paying attention to the world and to the people around you. That's so beautiful. Thank you. I think we're, at the end, is there anything you want to share about your work that you want to, like, like to plug to get people to go to? I would love to plug April 26th, Being With Bodies, come and experience an extraordinary, extraordinary night. Uh, it's going to be at the William Vale Hotel, 6.30. Tickets are online, like Being With's page. And thank you so much. It's been a total pleasure. Thank you. Really. That was great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to HivriaCast. I'm Aladna Harai. If you'd like to hear more and read more of our work, you can follow us by going to hevria.com or facebook.com slash mag. We've been recording at the Kalal Studios in New York City. 
And the music that you're hearing is Voice Lessons by Darshan. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing and hearing from you again. Kal, kalad, kalyan.